Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. How are you feeling? I'm doing okay. Uh, listeners might be able to tell I'm a little bit under the weather. Yeah, a little froggy. Uh, a little froggy um, and a little foggy. It's one of those kind of things. You know, uh, the stuff that gets me the most about a cold, the initial sore throat is rough. That bothers me so much. Um, I was listening to a podcast, uh, 372 pages will never get back hosted, uh, or co-hosted by Mike Nelson of Mm -hmm. MST3K. And he was talking about a, uh, having a cold and having a really terrible sore throat to the point where, and I love the way he puts it to the point where when you're in the midst of it, you come upon a moment where you're like, I need to swallow. Do I need to do this? Oh, right. Yeah. Is this like a necessity right now? Cause I really don't want to put myself through these, uh, this razor blade down my throat. Yeah. Um, Oof. so it's that kind of thing. The other thing is when my, if like I can deal with the coughing, I can deal with the sneezing when my ears are plugged oh, and I just feel like I'm, I'm just at a distance from the, from the rest of the world. Do you know what I mean? Well, I I unfortunately deal with that constantly because of allergies. My allergies will mess with my sinuses and I'll have uh, plugged up ears pretty often actually, Um, especially in the morning or, uh, late at night for some reason. I have found that it, uh, it happens when, cause I have a long commute and if my windows are up, Mm. Uh, I find that my ears get more plugged and it's like I'm in an airplane. And so it's, it's been Need pretty those rough ears while you're driving. It's, yeah. it's not safe. So I roll the windows down yeah. and then, and then at least one of them unplugs, which might be worse than both of them are being, both of them being plugged. Cause now my equilibrium is even more off. So, uh, it's, it's very frustrating, but I'm doing okay. Now I, I was at the international Christian film festival, uh, hawking my wares and, uh, uh, giving a talk and sorry, giving two talks, one about film history, one about film analysis. Exciting. And then at the last moment, like the very last moment, the guy uh, who runs it said, Hey, I need you to, uh, can you present one of the awards at the ceremony? And I was like, I, I didn't know I had to do that. I don't have a suit uh-huh. or anything. I don't have slacks. I'm just got jeans. I guess I've got this sweater that I bought at Salvation Army. And uh, so, yeah, I went up and uh, because I rare, because I, I, I like having that platform. Uh, it's an opportunity to speak to essentially the entire festival. Um, I, I decided to uh, comment on something that I had been hearing a lot of people talking about, which is, you know, uh, at this point, like the Christian film going audience is a little bit more willing to take risks. The directors and actors certainly are. It's really just the money people that are reluctant to do that. And so I went up and I talked about, I was presenting an award for student film. And so I was saying like, Hey, you know, it's, it's very exciting as a, as now a college professor to see like students when they first like really are excited about film and that kind of thing. Uh, but that excitement, of course, dies down the minute they come up against like uh, the money people and all that. And so I said, like, you know, so I wanted to encourage those of you in the audience who may be producers or executives, like, you know, take your cues from these people. They want to make the best film possible. The audience, I guarantee, like, not only are they open to it, they're yearning for it. And people, and so, uh, one person in the back of the room said, preach it, uh, which I thought was funny. Uh, come to find out. And, and it was very well received. A lot of people afterwards came up to my table and said good things and bought my book, which is what it's all about in the end. Um, and, uh, come to find out later that, uh, uh, the produce, one of the producers of God's not dead did not enjoy my comments. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, cause he, cause, uh, a, a bunch of us were hanging out afterwards and this, this woman was, a, a, an actress who, um, was sitting next to him, uh, in the ceremony. And he was like visibly shaking at what I was saying, like, because I think he thought it was presumptuous that like, pre- that like producers don't take risks. And, uh, and then, you know, he was, he, and he was going to prepare remarks to rebut my remarks. Uh-huh. Uh, and ultimately talking about like the risks that he took, like with God's not dead. And it's like mo- monetarily, I have no doubt that it was a risk. It always is when you produce a film, but it's just like, yeah, I don't think you're, and she, to her credit, that this actress that I'm talking about, she, to her credit, is like, I don't think you understand what he was talking about. He's not talking about financial risks. He's talking about yeah. 
creative, creative risk. Artistic, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it was, you know, I, I sold some books, I made some friends, I, angered, I mangered somebody, <laughs> you know, and that's what it's all about at the International Christian Film Festival. Yeah, it's good. It's always good to come away from a Christian Film Festival with a vendetta sworn against you. <laughs> all right, let's talk about. Something. I live all the way over here. What are yeah. they going to do? Uh, let's talk about some movies. I watched uh, a movie. Um, this was the, uh, I think it was the 1978 winner for best foreign language film at the Oscars. Okay. Um, I could have the year wrong. Maybe it was a nominee. I'm not an Oscars, uh, historian. Um, but it's recently been restored and it probably will be coming out on Blu-ray. This is how these things usually happen. Um, it's called get out your handkerchiefs and it is directed by Bertrand Blier and it stars Gerard Depardieu and, um, a couple of other, uh, actors, Patrick, Dewar, I'm not sure how you say his name, and Carol Laura. Um, and um, this is, uh, I really like the movie. Okay. And I, There's an odd smirk on your face right yeah, now. Yeah, because I, I, I was like watching it and thinking, I'm not sure, and I think we still get entertainment like this, but in a way this is this is a movie that has a very, it's it can be it's both very progressive, okay, and very prob- hashtag problematic at the same time. Oh sure, yeah. And I, what and year I was really it again? loved that sort of the. It's called Get Out Your Handkerchiefs. What year? Seventy eight, I think. That's about right. And it's so it's about so Gerard Depardieu and uh, Carol Laura are a cu- are a couple, a married couple, and she's very unhappy. Mm-hmm. Which, not that she says she's in it, one of the things that's problematic, but also is kind of part of the point of the movie, is that she has zero agency and almost never sticks up for herself okay. until like the third act, not that she's where she sort of vocalizes her desires a little more, and those desires end up being kind of problematic in their own way. Hmm. Um, but she's, they're at dinner and she's just, it's, the movie's very funny and she just has this hilarious mope, uh, just this pout on her face. She's just like, and like he'll be talking mild minute about how unhappy they are in a relationship, and it just cuts to her like with food on her fork, like in front of her mouth, but not quite eating it. Uh, and it's very funny because this actress is uh, stunningly beautiful, but mm-hmm. um, so so almost performatively unhappy in these scenes. And so Gerard Depardieu comes up, uh, his character uh, named Raoul comes up with this plan where he's going to. There's another man at the restaurant who's been making eyes at his wife. He thinks this man is ha- handsome. He's basically going to say, "Go have an affair with him. Hmm. Maybe that'll get uh, uh, make you happy." Which is, um, uh, it's it's funny because he, he he talks about being like you know being a modern man or whatever. Right. But he's not he's not asking her what is making her unhappy. He's not saying go find someone. He's literally just picking a person. He yeah. like, he's he, so he's still, and he certainly is not willing to say, maybe I should change. <laughs> right. Yeah. So he, exactly. So yeah. he's still, um, calling all the shots in a way. And then basically she goes off with this guy because she doesn't care. She's so apathetic. She doesn't care. She just yeah. goes along with it and he can't make her happy either. So then they become this weird sort of threesome in which two men are constantly fretting over their inability to make this woman happy. <laughs> and that seems very French to uh, me. Yes. And it's also very funny, but I think it also has a lot to say. I mean, I, I, I tried, I, you know, I haven't been, <coughs> I've been in therapy recently, but I've been in therapy before. I know that one of my problems that I have, in my, not just my marriage, but in relationships with women my entire life is this feeling like, Oh, she's unhappy. I either caused this or it's my job to fix it. Oh yeah. And that's, I think that is, um, that's caused usually causes more problems uh, than it fixes, and also I think it comes then from it's more about you than the other person. Yeah, it comes yeah. from a paternalistic, patriarchal type of yeah. uh, uh, stance. And so I've tried to I, I related to that, even though I've you know been in therapy and tried to work that out of myself. But I think the movie is very much uh, about that. Um, I'm also not getting into the third act development, which is so French and, uh, and such a, such a 90 degree turn. Yeah. Um, uh, but, um, I assume a police inspector uh, has to show up and put uh, an end to all this chaos. Um, no, I mean, I mean, it's French in this, in the, in the sense that it takes a turn that American audiences certainly then, even today would be scandalized by, but the French, it has this, 
what's the big deal? Yeah. That, that French sort of, what's the big deal about it type of thing? Yeah. You know, were they, you know, the French rated the 50 shades of grave movies, their, their equivalent of like PG. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, um, that's true. Um, so it, it goes to places that are, uh, scandalous and shocking delightfully. So, and the movie is, uh, again, uh, it's from a male point of view, but it's also very self deprecating mm-hmm. and self, it's a self accusatory about male tendencies in relationships, but I would stop short of calling it a feminist movie because it it, it right. is still 100% from the male point of view, but it's a really interesting movie. It's very, very funny. If mm-hmm. you have a certain type of sense of humor, sure. I think it's very, very funny. Um, and yeah, I look forward to come out on Blu-ray soon. Real quick. I haven't thought about this in a very, very long time. Do you recall I don't know where this the came most about. Famous reindeer of all. Let's just move on. Now, uh, when we were living together, and I don't remember where this came about. Okay, but you and I, for about a week, for no reason, again, started calling Gerard Depardieu Dipperdieu. Yes, I, I don't remember. Do you remember the context? I don't remember the context, but I do remember. That happened because we just, when I watched this movie, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, that reminds me of something else I was going to say that okay. I, I said because I wrote a review of this. It's on the website. There's something I said in the review is that I remember in like the '90s when Gerard Depardieu started making American movies. My Friend right. of the Hero, Green Card. Uh, I forgot about Green Card. Uh, Man in the Iron Mask. Mm. You know, it, it was kind of a joke. It's sort of just like. Um, you know, there was always a joke about like the French have such weird taste. They think Jerry Lewis is hilarious, right. which Jerry Lewis is, I don't know if he was hilarious, but he was better than people will give him credit for. Yeah. Certainly. Um, but it was a similar thing where like, this is their sex, sex symbol. symbol. Yeah. But that's because he, he got so oafish. Yes. I mean, literally, I mean, he would play oafs, but if you watch, Something like 1978's Get Out of Your Handkerchiefs or 1980's Lulu, which is a great, mm-hmm. legitimately great movie, with, which also has a very young, uh, a relatively young Isabel Huppert in it. So we're going to see uh, these. Uh, you get it. He's in, in Get Out of Your Handkerchiefs, even though he's a, he's a buffoon, he's this very slim, athletic yeah. guy. And in, in Lulu, he's kind of a brute, but he's still like, you get his animal magnetism. Yeah. I think if you watch. Yeah, watch older Gerard Depardieu, and it's a lot less of a mystery why he yeah. was considered a sex symbol. Yeah. All right, moving on to a movie that I'm not going to talk about for very long at all because it's not uh, very good. Uh, Ugly Dolls. Okay. Um, which is a new animated musical based on, I guess, based on a toy line. I didn't know. Mm. Um, it's not. I, don't, I assumed it was something that I didn't know. That's yeah. all. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so all the, most of the major voice cast are professional singers before they're actors. You've mm-hmm. got like Kelly Clarkson, uh, Janelle Monet, um, Blake Shelton, uh, Pitbull has a role. There's another main major one that I'm missing, but I can't remember who it is. Um, and it, the movie has a lot of music in it. Uh, Oh yeah. Uh, one of the Jonas is, I'm free. one of the, okay. I don't know which one. Um, uh, I don't think I could name all three. Well, I, I know there's Nick and Joe. Oh, there's okay. So there's, I knew Nick, but yeah, I, yeah, you're there's right. I don't know the other one. Alphonse. Alphonse, that's um, it. Uh, but the songs aren't very good. The movie has, like, there's a part of me that's like, if you have a kid, take them to see this movie, because it does have a very good, very on-the-surface message, just mm-hmm. about, like, uh, everyone feels like they're not good enough, mm. they're not perfect enough, they're not good-looking, They're everyone feels like a reject and... Um, you should embrace the things that are, uh, that make you who you are, mm-hmm. you know, and don't try to sand off your idiosyncrasies or whatever to be right. just like everyone else. It's a good message that I think, uh, kids would respond well to. Yeah. The movie is just so lackluster, so cookie cutter. Yeah. And one thing I will say in its favor, because it took me so by surprise, I was the only person in the theater who laughed is that this movie has a blatant Miller's Crossing reference in it <laughs> that I did not see coming. Can I, it's, it's going to constitute a spoiler. Go ahead. So if you, if you care about spoilers for Ugly Dolls, jump ahead. But I'm going to say what it is because I don't want people to pay for Ugly Dolls just to get this one part. <laughs> yeah. But there's a part near the end where the bad guy played by Joe Jonas, basically they've conquered him and then the good guys have to decide whether to let him be like 
destroyed by this machine or whether to to save him and give him another chance and he begs for his life and he goes look into your heart look into your heart and i laughed oh, out yeah, loud <laughs> That's absolutely uh, yeah. yeah. It's too specific. I, uh, I laughed out loud. No one else did. I, I don't know. I'm glad that someone it's a room full of critics. Though, how could they not get uh, it? Well, it's an all media screening. Oh, it's right. like twenty. It's thirty percent critics, and yeah. then it's families who got you know got passes it. or people who work for the studio, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, and I also think a lot of critics skipped this one. Um, Fair enough. That's the impression that I got. Uh, but yeah, congrats to whoever on the writing staff, you know, in the, in the, among the writers of Ugly Doll, snuck in their Miller's Crossing reference. I like the idea <laughs> that, like, me. that like a kid is watching this movie and then suddenly like, it's got really intense there. <laughs> yeah. Okay, back to business. But that was weird. All right, moving on to um, uh, a movie that really took me by surprise. Um and uh, you know if, if Ugly Dolls was terrible this one is surprisingly good uh, Long Shot directed by Jonathan okay. Levine the only Jonathan Levine movie I've seen is 50-50 and I did not like it right um, and so I the, so here it is Jonathan Levine again it's Seth Rogen again I wasn't really um, uh, uh, I didn't really have my have my hopes up for it I, I thought it was going to be sort of more of the sort of Maudlin wish fulfillment of fifty fifty. That's the thing. The fifty fifty always seemed kind of gross to me, where it seemed like mm-hmm. you know, like um, uh, uh, Huck Finn or is it Tom Sawyer who just like uh, imagines like if I died, they'd all feel bad about being mean to me or whatever. You know what I mean? I think that's Tom Sawyer. Yeah, that's Tom Sawyer. Yeah, fifty fifty always felt like, even though I know it's based on a true story, it does feel like this weird like wish fulfillment of like if I had cancer, everyone would be nice oh, to yeah. me and like girls would like me and stuff. It always felt kind of gross to me <laughs> like that. Um, and so I thought this is going to be something like that. Uh, but no, this is a uh, legitimately hilarious movie. Long shot. It doesn't depend overly on improvisation, although there are. There's a couple of those um, riffs of like, you look like blank in a blank, yeah. you know, but they only do a couple of them. They, they clearly, I, if they did come from for improvisation, they just left in the good ones. Okay. Because um, uh, I don't know if you've seen the trailer for Long Shot. No. Okay. So there's a part where he, uh, um, they make him dress up in like traditional like Renaissance Swedish like gear and um Judah and Raphael it's like uh all right we're gonna go into the party you stay here in case any citizens of Candyland need their cars parked there we go <laughs> that was a pretty good one um uh and so there's yeah really good jokes and also I think the comparison I keep seeing be see I keep seeing being made oh boy is to knocked up because it's like, Oh, Seth Rogen and this elegant, beautiful woman again. Right. But the difference, and I like knocked up, but the difference here is that in knocked up, the character is, he has, he's directionless. He has no ambition. Right. Um, he's, that's why it's like, this is the worst person possible to get you pregnant. It's like kind of the idea of the movie. Um, and here that's not at all the case here. He is a, uh, ambitious, fervent investigative journalist, very progressive investigative journalist, um, who reconnects with his high school or his childhood crush slash babysitter, who is now the secretary of state Hmm. played by Charlize Theron. And they end up having this, uh, this romance. And, but, uh, it's not just a joke of like, look at these, this two, look at this odd couple. That's definitely a big part of the, of the marketing, but maybe not the film yeah, itself. Yeah, because what it really is is that we've seen, like, in flashbacks, we see how the young, you know, she was a few years older than he was, babysitting, she was already very politically active as right. a teenager. And you see, like, oh, his crush on her as a child is kind of what turned him into mm-hmm. the crusader he is now. And now that she's a professional politician, she's constantly compromising. You know, she has not remained pure to her whatever. Yeah. And so it ends up being this sort of push and pull of like, he's become so intransigent that he's almost, uh, uh, exhausting mm-hmm. and she no longer really stands for anything except for winning. Oh, interesting. And so they sort of have to like, basically he has to learn to compromise more and she has to learn to compromise less and come back together and sort of rediscover. It's much more complex than I they thought are it was going to be. Yeah. 
Um, it also has Bob Odenkirk as the president. Uh, who's oh, in, fun. Um, he's an, an idiot former TV star president. He's not supposed to be Donald Trump though, because he's the, the supposed to be a democratic, mm-hmm. uh, administration. But, um, uh, he is very funny in his couple of scenes, including a clip of the TV show that made him famous, which I'm not going to spoil is one of the biggest laughs in the movie uh, for me. <laughs> that might be enough to get me to see it. Not, not him, but just like, that's an interesting dilemma, a, yeah. a workable one. I like Charlize Theron. I like when she, I remember in the, in the, you know, late nineties and early two thousands. And then when she won her Oscar for monster, I remember thinking like, okay, I mean, she's a good actress, but this is all she's going to be. But like, you know, I know that this is something that I feel like you, you have in common uh, with me and that like the rest of the world, when like a comedic person does something dramatic, they're like, that's amazing. But to me, when a dramatic person does something comedic, it's like, Hey, wait a second. What's going on here? Um, Um, Unless it's John Hamm, in which case you're just tired of it. Uh, yeah, I do get tired of it. But it reminds me of something that uh, Joss Whedon says in the commentary track for Serenity. Okay. I, don't remember, I don't know if you remember the cold open of Serenity. I do. Where she would tell Edgy Four kills Michael, Michael Hitchcock. Michael Hitchcock, yeah. And Joss Whedon talks about casting Michael Hitchcock, and he was like, I wanted to cast a comedian for this role, even though it's not a funny role. He gets killed. Yeah. I mean, it is funny up until then. But anyway, yeah. um, he was like, I, I wanted to, ca- I guess he's talking about balancing that. And he was like, I wanted to cast a comedian because that's the hard one. Um, and he says it kind of, cause yeah. Joss Whedon tends to be kind of glib, uh, in that way. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. And so I think you're probably getting at what I'm getting at when Charlie's yeah. there and showed up on Arrested Development. Oh yeah. It was so goofy. Yeah. And I, yeah, I did, uh, cause I was already a fan of her, <laughs> but yeah, I, that, and then young adult, which is a different kind of comedy, mm-hmm. but is also very, uh, I think, I mean, I mean, monsters. I like monsters. It's a good movie. Um, but I always roll my eyes a little bit when people talk about an actress, like not wearing makeup or and, and, right. and talk about it being so brave. I don't know. Maybe it is. I don't know. Because a lot of, yeah. uh, unfortunately for a lot of women in, in Hollywood, their natural or their, their talents and their abilities as an actor can get overlooked and, in, in, oh, in, sure. uh, uh, in favor of their, their looks. But, uh, I do think doing, um, doing what she did in young adult is maybe more brave in a way because which she's, I didn't see. And I didn't see Tully. Uh, either. I didn't see Tully. I, I want to see them. Um, but yeah. And young then, adult is still my favorite, uh, Jason Raven movie, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's limited for me to the, the, I would say like the big three of the early of the mid two thousands, which is thank you for smoking Juno and, uh, up in the air, which I, and I love up in the air. Up in the air is the only good one of the three you mentioned. There. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for smoking. It's not, it, it certainly, as far as satire goes, it doesn't have the sharp edge of a movie like network, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still pretty solid and the performances are still pretty good. And, and you can definitely tell it's a filmmaker kind of finding their feet, like in the same way that, I don't know, the first time filmmakers or maybe even second time filmmakers, sometimes they overdo it in style so that they can dial it back and then find where they actually want to be. And so I feel like he, he plays it up so much with thank you for smoking, dials it back a little bit for Juno, then dials it back to like, okay, now we're at up in the air. Now it's at like an acceptable level and one that kind of fits with the characters and that sort of thing. So anyway, sorry, I've been talking too long. Go ahead. No, that's okay. I needed a break because I still have, uh, uh, I only have one more. So let's move on to my last one. Then you'll have a movie to talk mm-hmm. about. I thought, wow, long shot surprise comedy of the spring. Uh, and then I saw a comedy that hasn't come out yet. That is even better. Okay. That I can't wait for everyone to see Olivia Wilde's directorial debut book smart. It looked interesting to me. It's amazingly nonstop funny. Okay. And not only is it funny in script and performance, Olivia Wilde as a director has a great sense of pace. This is yeah. one of those all in one night. It's, I mean, the, the, uh, the, uh, reductive, Logline here is that, or is that it's the female super bad okay. that applies in a lot of ways, um, but the characters are very different than the two characters in yeah. Superbad. But in the sense that it's a high school debauchery type of uh, comedy that takes place all in one night, uh, it's like Superbad in that way. And she has such a great handle on the movie's pace and tone. Mm-hmm. It's a really, really stunning directorial debut. It's funny in a way that is not. Again, I don't. That's why I don't like the simple comparison because right. it's a funny in a way that this movie is funny, that these characters are funny. It's very specific. Um, 
it, it, it also is about a different sort of um, type of not not just uh, again like I said the characters are different they're not just the female like right uh, their their whole thing is the whole I don't know if you know the premise of a little bit yeah okay so if you don't listen if you don't know Beanie Feldstein and uh, Caitlin Deaver um, are about to graduate high school they've gotten into good schools um, and they didn't really like they were very studious all through high school and were to get into good schools. And like the last day of school, they realized that a bunch of the kids they thought were like slacker idiots also got into good schools. Right. They just happened to have fun in high school at the same time. And suddenly they, uh, they, they decided to really Beanie Feldstein's character decides we have to go have fun tonight. We have to go out to this party um, so that we didn't waste our high school years. And so it's trying them trying to cram, uh, four years worth of, uh, high school partying into, into one night. Um, uh, I, I don't want to give too much away, but it's really funny, really great, uh, um, character based stuff. I would say at this point I'm okay. So super bad is what year? 2007. 2007. So I was less than a decade out of high school. Mm. Now it's 2019. I'm almost two decades out of high school. So I don't know. I don't know how much of their, this movie's depiction of high school is, um, uh, is realistic or if, or, or if it's sort of like, uh, a wholly imagined either way. It felt consistent. Yeah. Um, this didn't feel like high school to me in the way that, uh, the, characters the high school characters think and talk about things like sexuality is very different than than what i experienced 20 years ago sure um for all i know it might be it might be more accurate i don't know but um uh it did feel honest within the world of the movie which is all i can ask for you know one of the things that i liked about super ben and it sounds like this movie does it too is that you know high school movies i mean I'm sure there are other films that did this as well, but like high school movies when I was growing up, it was all about clicks and the group you fit into. Oh, right, yeah. Super bad, it really isn't that. Like the popular kid can also be the stoner and the un the and, and the idea of like, well, there's no real unpopularity. It's you know, there are groups of friends, but they can't be categorized so easily. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and it sounds like this like the very the very premise of this is, well, we're the really smart kids and we're gonna do well. And then there's the dumb partier kids and it's like, Oh wait, they're also doing well. Uh, I guess it's possible to be all of these things yeah. and not be so clear cut between groups. Yeah. And they end up at a series of different parties and you see characters show up, you know, overlap, overlapping social yeah. groups. So yeah. Uh, the last thing I'll say, so yeah, mostly I just want to say this movie is really, really funny. It's the funniest movie of 2019 that I've seen so far. Um, everyone has to see it. The last thing I'll say is Billy Lord. Do you know who Billy Lord is the actress? She's been on, she was on like, um, uh, American horror story. Mm. Um, but she's Carrie Fisher's daughter. Oh, okay. She is incredible in this movie. Like I, I knew from things like lady bird. I knew that Benny, Benny Feldstein was good. I knew from justified that Caitlin Diva was good. Billy Lord is playing the, crazy goofy wild card character she's almost okay. like the slater from days and confused but times a hundred mm-hmm. do you know what i mean yes um where her character is almost a joke and yet she creates someone that is as fully realized and as uh as, as impactful and sympathetic as any of the other characters in the movie it's uh i i think my Already, my dark horse pick for best supporting actress. Oh, okay. In twenty nineteen, is going to be Billy Lord in That's exciting. Booksmart. It would never ever. It's the kind of role that would never ever get nominated. Right. But it's. Thank uh, God for the beefies. Am I right? Uh, yeah, um, but um, you know the the things that she's required to do in the movie are not the things that get people Oscars. Yeah. And yet, they're. I'm not an actor. I don't think it's an easy job which she has. Yeah. And the fact that she also pulls this fully formed character out of it. Oh boy. It's terrific. I'm so, excited. Yeah. Book smart. Everyone's got to check it out. All right. Your turn to talk. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I only have two movies to talk about. I saw more movies, but for various reasons, I'm not talking about them here. I will talk about them in a few weeks. Um, but, uh, 
and also I, you know, the festival just took up a lot, a lot yeah, of my time and I was going to, and it was frustrating because I was a little bit sick. Uh, there were movies I wanted to see at the festival that I, that friends of mine were involved with, uh, and that, uh, and I'm bummed that I didn't get to see them. But anyway, um, <clears throat> so the first, uh, this is a, a rewatch, but it's, it's a film I haven't seen in a very, very long time watched it this week in my uh world cinema class and it is videodrome uh it turns out i should have given the students more warning uh about it a student did use the word triggered as we were discussing it um specifically by like the snm stuff which is weird because when i think of videodrome i forget about that yeah that's not the main I, thing think I think of the of. extreme imagery of like the the body horror stuff yeah um and not the stuff on video, the TV show, whatever you want to call it, Videodrome. And it's just like, yeah, oh, I yeah, forgot, I, I guess. The, weird, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and it speaks to the film in general that, like, that's that stuff is forgotten by two people who like the movie mm-hmm. and, and have a, probably a pretty good memory for it anyway. Um, but, yeah, I haven't seen it in a while, and I'm a big Cronenberg fan. I'd, I'd venture to say he's maybe not a top 10, but he's like a top 20 filmmaker for me. I I love the way he approaches story, the way he approaches character, and his willingness to just go wherever the complex, uh, the complexity of these characters, wherever it's willing to, wherever it's going to take him. Uh, and... <clears throat> And the students, for the most part, seem to really respond to it. Some of them really were fascinated at the notion of, I mean, it's 1983, but talking about technology and the role that it will play uh, in, a, in our lives um, was something that, uh, that the students really responded to. And I myself, just this, it has such this, this deliberate pacing as stuff is unfolding. And the idea of video drum causing hallucinations hmm. but the hallucinations don't they don't um they don't announce themselves as as hallucinations through the filmmaking where it's like oh okay it's a little bit shimmery it's shot in a different way or there's some kind of weird uh sound effect or music that goes with it no the hallucinations are that simply because they're out of the ordinary and highly unlikely but it's done in a very matter of fact way which does more to put you in the mindset or in the headspace of the James Woods character. Um, than if you were to like overly stylize it, it's just, it, it, this is just part of his reality now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really just, uh, it's a film that I knew I loved. Uh, but, but as often happens with Cronenberg, like whenever I watch, uh, one of his movies, even one that one that I've seen a few times before, uh, I notice something different, and I have a deeper love for him as a craftsman and as a, a big picture storyteller. And so, um, yeah, I was very happy to rewatch it, but I definitely will keep in mind in the future that, like, you know, if, if I'm in a position to teach this class again, and I do, and yeah. I'm lecturing about Canadian film. Um, maybe I'll give people a heads up. Yeah. Uh, cause yeah, it's just, it, I completely forgot about that part. Yeah. You can always show dead ringers instead. Exactly. <laughs> That's Problem not triggering solved, yeah. at all. <laughs> um, dead ringers is great though. It really is. It is. I rewatched I, it again within the last year. Uh, really great. We watched a lot of, uh, you know, we watched that and then did a discussion of it. And then we watched a number of trailers, um, and clips from other Canadian filmmakers. So we watched, trailer for the fly and existence history of violence cosmopolis and then we moved on to like and i talked about guy madden denny arcon um adam agoyan sarah polly and then uh, mm-hmm. briefly t- touched on uh, denny Villeneuve. and it's just uh and just and so we watched the trailer for sweet hereafter which i haven't seen in years yeah i'm like i need to watch rewatch yeah. this right now oh my gosh so exciting yeah well, yeah, you could have, with Adam McGoin, you could have gone with exotica that I, been yeah i know intriguing <laughs> too i know um you know what we should do? We always have ideas for episodes. What do you got? But we've done like Los Angeles movies. We've done San Fernando Valley movies. Mm-hmm. We should have guests on from other cities and do movies about those cities. This was an idea I had many years ago. Oh, well, I say I forget about it. Oh, this. yeah, yeah. Because Dead I was going to do a whole series. Dead Ringers is one of the few movies that really feels like it's a Toronto movie. Sure. That and Enemy, as much as I didn't really love Enemy. Yeah. Like, those feel like movies that are really willing to embrace the fact that they set, they are set in Toronto and not treat Toronto as just And you've been like, to Toronto, yes? Well, I've been to the film festival. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. is like, I don't know how Toronto feels. Um, we'd have to have uh, Jeremy Woodcock come down and, yeah. and tell us all about it. Hopefully he will. 
All right. Uh, moving on to uh, that's the wrong app. Uh, all right. <laughs> so um, right now um, uh, we're in the middle of uh, the um, Billy Wilder uh, Theater at the Hammer Museum mm-hmm. uh, as part of the UCLA Film and Television Archive Co Bruins. Yep. Um, is doing, let me uh, say it. <laughs> I put in the time and the money. I'll say go Bruins. Don't get me wrong. It doesn't occur to me to do it. It doesn't occur to you to do it. And also, when I've done it before, or when I when you've tried to do it before, you don't always remember that it's the Bruins. That is true, yes. Go, I want to say Mason. <laughs> um, uh, uh, okay, uh, so they're doing two weekends of uh, sort of contemporary Iranian cinema, um, you know, because there's something we talked about. Well, you weren't uh, on the episode. We had um, Lino Moreas, uh, Morales on uh, talking about Brazilian cinema, mm. talking about the idea that there's like, I think this is true in a number of countries where the movies that tend to make it to America from the other countries are more for the art house crowd. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, because that's who goes to see foreign movies here. Whereas there are mainstream movies made in these, in these countries. Yeah. And so I, I'm, I, I'm always really interested in things like this or things like, uh, Colcoa city of light city of angels, which mm-hmm. is a week of uh, French films. Um, the contemporary French films that plays, uh, it's usually every April, but they moved to September this year. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, and so I wanted to, I basically, I basically, I didn't really look at what any of the movies were about, but I was like, I'm going to make it to at least one of these. And so I made it to only one I could, uh, last Friday, um, which also gave me a chance to try the new bar and restaurant at the hammer, right. uh, Audrey at the hammer, which I'd heard good things about and didn't disappoint. Anyway, uh, I saw a movie called sunset truck, which uh, came out in Iran a couple of years ago. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a perfectly well-made movie you okay. know the some of the performances are a little uh, a little lacking um but it's it's such a familiar the thing that's so fascinating about it i guess is seeing sort of familiar setups in a different culture do you know what i mean yeah and so the premise is that there's this family that runs this sort of like uh it's not you wouldn't call it a resort Cause it's just a sort of like, I guess you'd call it a big bed and breakfast, okay. but it's out in the desert and I guess they're falling on hard times and they, they don't own the buildings. So the landlord is, you've seen this stuff before. The right. landlord is, is trying to take the, is, you know, collecting uh, what they think are unfair rents and, yeah. and you know, the, the, that, that damn landlord. Uh, and then the young, the youngest, uh, the, I, I, not, he's not a boy, but the youngest son of the family, he's like a, in his twenties or whatever. Um, basically starts posting pictures of the sunset from their view and starts like on social media. He starts, uh, um, selling the places, uh, the place where you could see the most beautiful sunset in the world or in Iran. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Uh, and so like, um, artist types start coming out and, uh, part of the fun is that there's, they drive them from the city in the back of a truck. Like literally there's no seats. It's like literally the back of a cargo truck. So you see like this truck driving down the, the sidewalk and you cut to not sidewalk, this, the, the, the highway mm-hmm. and you cut to inside the truck and it's like a band of musicians, like having a like jamboree inside the truck. Um, uh, and, um, uh, and so they all sort of converge these, these musicians, the family, the landlord and then a woman who is trying to hide out from a, an abusive relationship Mm -hmm. all end up at the bed and breakfast or whatever you want to call it, uh, at the same time. And it's sort of, it's not that plot heavy mood. Like the landlord plot is really the only major, um, through line that has like narrative beats. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, um, uh, yeah, I, I'm really glad that I went went to see it. Um, it. There's some things that are a little bit amateurish about it, but it also like I feel like you go out into the desert to shoot a movie, you're going to get some beautiful imagery. Yeah, you yeah. know, and like there, there's a great one. It's in the uh, I guess UCLA made a little trailer thing, and there's a part where one of the musicians is standing on top of the bed and breakfast building, like at sunset, playing the violin. Mm. It's, it's absolutely beautiful, and the song's beautiful. Um, yeah, really glad I went to see it. It's about 85 minutes long. I don't know when you'll ever, ever get a chance to see it. Yeah. But, um, 
it's just one of the things about, you know, I, uh, I have this disagreement with, with Natalie sometimes, um, where she, she likes movies, but doesn't love them the way that I do sure. because very few people love movies the way that I do, uh, or that you do, yeah. or that certain other people we know do. Um, but, um, uh, when I try to tell her that, you know, cause we like, we also like to travel together. Um, uh, and when I try to tell her that movies are like a form of travel, she tends to not feel that way because it's not a real experience that you're having. And I say, yes, that's true. That's the benefit of actual travel yeah. is that it is a hands-on in-person real experience. Yeah. Mo- movies are a simulated experience, mm-hmm. but the upside is you get to look through someone else's eyes, which is not something you can do. Exactly. Yeah. Even when you're there in person, you can't see the world through someone else's eyes. And so seeing these movies, even though it's not some world beater of a movie, it's not going to like end up on, uh, you know, the, uh, they shoot pictures. Don't they top 1000 movies of all time list at any right. point? Uh, it's not that kind of foreign film, but, uh, the experience of just getting, of just watching, um, a movie from a culture that is so removed from ours. And yet, yeah, there's so much people are people everywhere in some ways. Yeah. It's always fi- going to be true. Yeah. This is how I felt when we, when I rewatched a separation is that, you know, it's, uh, in many ways, the, the family is like any family. Uh, the, the tension between the husband and wife is very similar that you would to what you would find, but just the having to navigate like the, the cultural expectations, the legal expectations, um, is something like, Oh, that's unique, uh, for me, you know? And so, uh, that can be invigorating because you notice you, you see the differences and the similarities from the comfort of your own home, you know? <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and then old movies from other cultures are great because yeah. not only do you see the world through someone else's eyes, you get to time travel. That's, that's true. Exactly. Um, all right, moving on. And then you can pause and like, you know, go get a sandwich or something. Yeah. A good old American sandwich. <laughs> uh, moving on. I feel like in recent, maybe the past year or so on, on, on the movie journal, especially I often feel like I feel guilty. Like I'm a bad liberal because so often there's RBG, there's sure. vice. There's these movies that are like politically movies that I am aligned with yeah. politically that I think are bad movies. Yes. And even though I've defended this director in the past, okay. Um, I can't recommend. I'm excited. I'm so excited. The new Edward Zwick movie, Trial by Fire, even though it is an impassioned anti-death penalty movie, which I am uh, very much against mm-hmm. the death penalty, um, and it's it's based on a true story of a um, uh, Texas man who uh, his wife is at work, his house caught oh, on fire. Right. Is this with Laura Dern? Laura Dern, Jack, o- Jack O'Connell is the main right. uh, guy who. Um, uh, and now I'm forgetting the name of the actress that plays his wife, but she's on the deuce. She's a very good actress. Um, anyway, uh, um, anyway, his three children die in a house fire mm-hmm. and he was convicted of arson of setting the fire. Um, and he was, uh, uh, sentenced to death. Mm-hmm. And, um, then Laura Dern plays a, a woman who volunteers with, uh, um, not the innocence project, uh, but one of those type of like, mm-hmm. uh, citizens against the death penalty type of thing who, um, gets involved in appealing his case. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so the, but uh, the movie is just so, so stacked. The deck is so stacked. Right. Like it starts off. And I think I kind of understand what it's trying to do. Like putting you in the mind in in the, in the, from the point of view of the town and from the police and the prosecutors. Sure. The movie starts off really stacking the deck in favor of this guy did it. Okay. But it's also so disingenuous that you, it actually backfires. It's like, obviously he, obviously the movie doesn't think he did. Right. All of this evidence is too, it's too much. And you're the way you're presenting it to me is too much. There's something disingenuous about the whole movie. I think, um, with the exception of Jack O'Connell's performance, which is really, really great. Mm -hmm. Uh, Laura Dern though, which was an actress that I, one of my favorite actresses, I think, you know, I like to think, I would like to think that a great actress, a great actor, um, can play, all sorts of things, but I feel like it's hard for me to buy 
Laura Dern as this, I mean, it was just the way the character is written, but this naive. Sure. You know? Sure. Um, yeah. She exudes intelligence. Yeah. And I think maybe because the movie is, is, is treating us like we're not intelligent by doing what I was saying before, stacking the deck and then like, Oh my God, what do you mean? There's evidence that he's innocent. It's like, yeah. I understood from the second scene where you were going with this. And so maybe that, maybe that's part of that because the movie doesn't trust the intelligence of the audience. Um, Lord Dern is seen as an audience surrogate, but none of us are as naive as her character is. This is so consistent with what I don't like about Edward Zwick. Uh, as you know, I, I mean, you're, you mentioned that you're a fan of his. I'm not, not a fan, but I'm deeply aware of his flaws as a filmmaker. I think he's very much a big picture filmmaker, but when you get to the specifics, especially the idea of like the audience surrogate is infinitely less interesting yeah. than the supporting role. Glory, last samurai blood diamond yeah uh, i mean it just it happens over and even even something like uh uh pawn sacrifice which i didn't see that which one. toby mcguire he certainly is not necessarily he's not necessarily an audience surrogate but he's the lead as opposed to the boris spassky character played by Liev schreiber mm-hmm. who is is i think more interesting like there's just something about i think he puts I, too much pressure on his on his lead i'm noticing something here you mentioned i never saw last samurai either but uh but you mentioned glory last samurai blood diamond alice mentioned the siege sure um and now he's doing pawn sacrifice and trial by fire Do you th- he seems to have lost the cachet to get the big budget movies made and uh, i feel like probably yeah the stuff that i liked about his movies because all the things that i don't don't like about trial by fire were always there in his movies yeah but i always thought he was skilled at a sort of classical sort of adventure action. I would agree. Type of I would agree with that a hundred percent. Blood diamond feels like it could be like, uh, yeah. like a late fifties Bogart. Like type or, Oh, and when did, what year did Bogart die? Uh, 54. No, oh, 64. Okay. He made it to the 60s. Yeah. yeah. It feels like it could be like an African queen type of, I guess that's, maybe that's why I'm thinking African queen. Cause blood diamond takes place in Africa, but either way it, it, it feels like uh, a, a samurai, big picture, maybe like King Vidor type of, yeah. Uh, last samurai has a type of David lean quality to it. Um, yeah. Zwick very much feels like, a in a good way, a throwback to that type of epic. Yeah, but and like, and that's why I liked, I saw blood diamond more than once, but that was only because I worked at the arc light at the time and mm-hmm. I could see it for free. <laughs> um, but, uh, um, bling bang. <laughs> yeah well, See, that's dumb that's but so i dumb. was like there was always something sort of just like big and brawny about yeah. these movies that i liked and now maybe he's making these smaller movies there's nothing left for me to like and all that's left is the stuff that i don't like yeah so yeah trial by fire uh didn't do it for me and then last but not least not quite least uh is i saw um uh, rob letterman's pokemon detective pikachu okay and this is this is like, it's very much like the sort of lesser MCU movies in that it is just totally thoroughly unchallenging and agreeable. Yeah. Like if you, if you're extremely fine. Yeah. If you're planning to see Pokemon detective Pikachu, go ahead with your plans. If this movie appeals to you, you won't regret having seen it. Yeah but it won't rise above any of that. It's not like he like he's going to surprise you. And if you don't want to see it, don't because it's not going to have anything more. The movie is almost exactly what you think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, and that it's always tough with, we talk about rotten tomatoes. I did end up marking it rotten because I feel like I wanted to hide it, hold it to a higher standard, but it's right on the line. It could have been yeah. either for me. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't really have much to say about it. It's, it's exactly the movie that, yeah, you think it's it's going to be it has that sort of um, it has some jokes in it, but it also has we've talked again. I keep comparing it to the lesser Marvel movies. We've talked about some of the lesser Marvel movies like having a jokiness, yeah. but not actual jokes. And a lot of Detective Pikachu is like that. OK, like it feels like there's <laughs> comedy going on, but I'm not actually hearing a joke. Yeah, it just has a tone. Do you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Where it's the inherent one could say the inherent silliness of the story. It's like, this is enough to be jo- a joke, right? It's yeah. like, not really. You still got to make the jokes. Yeah. It's also, but it's also, uh, I, I, I'll say this for, uh, again, it, this is probably what you're expecting, but it is very much a noir movie. Okay. It's a very much a neo-noir, like near future type of sci-fi noir movie. Yeah. But it has all the tropes of, a, you know, the, the sort of innocent milk toast guy who gets like drawn in, 
to the 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 murky criminal underworld of the big city yeah uh, you know it has the detective uh things it also has what i would say is not one of the my favorite hallmarks of noir movies although the coen brothers spooked it pretty well in the big lebowski it has the ridiculously convoluted plot sure which is kind of I mentioned this in my review. Like, this is a movie that is essentially, I don't know, I'm on the fence of, like, because kids like Pokemon. Mm -hmm. But also, Pokemon's been around for over two decades, so adults like Pokemon, too. And so, I think mostly it does a good job of being sort of kid-friendly, but I don't really think it's a kid's movie, even though Mm -hmm. it's rated PG. And a big part of that is, like, I'm trying to imagine how bored the kids would be during the like second scene in the movie where Bill Nighy is just telling Pikachu what happened or, or telling uh, not Pikachu. The justice Smith is the mm-hmm. kid who plays the, there's just like, there's just these long scenes. There's like at least three of them I can think of that are long scenes of like, here's what was happening yeah. and, and catching you up. And, and I, I'm not, I'm sure if I saw the movie two or three more times, I would say, okay, I think it does all make sense, but I'm not right. going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, so Did, were you at all? I mean, I, I feel like Pikachu became, uh, sorry, Pokemon became big just like as we, as you and I were becoming a little bit too old to appreciate. So I, I, I have you know, never, I, I was that, never you know, I, into I know it. people my age and older who okay. were into it. Cause you, I, I, you weren't I, into I, I always it, right? said that about like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Is yeah. it like, Oh, my younger brothers were into that. I just missed it. But then I, I know people who are older than I am who were into Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Yeah, I so guess I just didn't like it. That's what, it, yeah, that's this. I, I should say this Pokemon detective Pikachu is my first ever interaction with the right. Pokemon. I've never watched a thing. I've never played a game. I don't know. I've never read a comic book. I I've, have no experience yeah. with Pokemon whatsoever. When I saw the Warcraft movie a few years ago, <laughs> um, which I enjoyed, uh, but you know, I saw it uh, at a critic screening and I'm watching and I'm enjoying. And then like something like the camera will just go is just scanning through something. And then like you heard 40% of the crowd laugh and like, no, all right, <laughs> that's, that's a Warcraft thing. Right. And yeah. I don't even know what, I have no idea what I should have been laughing at. Yeah. It was just a visual gag. Um, also Pikachu is detective Pikachu is full of other references that I'm not sure. It's like, is that a reference or is that just laziness? Oh, yeah. Cause there's, um, there's some gremlins in there. There's a lot yeah. of blade runner and the finale is really similar to Tim Burton's Batman. <laughs> Uh, okay. The idea of that takes place at a parade and the balloons have gas. Oh, okay. Like oh, it's yeah. really similar. Um, and, and I didn't know it's an intentional homage or is this just lazy screen? Yeah. Uh, anyway. Um, so we have one more movie to talk about. Okay. Yes. Uh, it's your movie. You told me, but, uh, it's going to be Avengers end game. And we, yeah. are, we saved it till the end, even though chronologically you watched this before you watched yes. the last one. We saved it for the end because we were going to do a spoilery discussion. So if you, are somehow interested in an end game and haven't seen it yet. I'm not sure if there's right. anyone like that left in the world right now, but, uh, if you don't want to be spoiled, turn off. Now the rest of the episode is going to be end game spoilers. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. Let's, I, let's do it. I wanted the, uh, I mean, it has been so frustrating. Uh, cause I did, I saw it two weeks ago today. I saw it when we were done recording, uh, with Brian, uh, Raftery, right. uh, I hightailed it to the movie theater and here's what I'll say. Despite your negative review. Um, okay. I'm embarrassed to say this uh-huh. <laughs> as I was driving to the theater, I found myself having a physical reaction to the anticipation that I felt. Um, because as a, you know, someone who read comic books when I was a kid and read the Infinity Gauntlet, like, saga when I was a kid. Not that I knew, and I knew this wasn't going to pay off the way that did, but I was just like, this is 11 years. Like, I'm really excited to see this. Like, I put in my time with a lot of these MCU movies in anticipation of this. Um, and so I was, I was really excited. Like, I, part of me was just like, don't drive too fast, because if you get in a car accident you're going to miss end game. You know, <laughs> it was that kind of thing. Like I was not, not that you're going to totally your car or you're going to get hurt. It's you're yeah. going to miss out on this thing. I was genuinely excited to see it. Um, <clears throat> and then I did. And then it was frustrating that I couldn't talk about it with anybody in any kind of real way. Uh, because someone somewhere in the vicinity was worried about spoilers. So yes, uh, when you showed up today, I was like, I want to, I want this to be 
the movie we end on because I want to be able to talk about it in yeah. a real way. And yeah, I, I say have at it. I feel like I'm, I'm sure things you will say will spark things. I feel like I'm kind of talked out, but let me say this yeah. about your interest <clears throat> because here's something, because I am not an MCU devotee. I've mm-hmm. seen uh, more than half of them, but I haven't, there's a lot of that. I've then seen. what kind of right do you <laughs> have? <laughs> um, what I'm saying is I don't, and maybe I'm being obtuse here, but I feel like, everyone's talking about this like it's over, but it's not over. There's still more MCU movies coming. Yes. Here's what it is though. It's over for me. Okay. At least the way that it has been. Uh, Why is that? Because, uh, you know, the, okay. So we're in spoilers. Yeah. The characters that I, that initially got me invested in this, which is to say Iron Man and I'd say Captain America. There are other important characters that that could go on. That's fine. Um, But their arc is done. And the stuff that we've been building to, which is the Infinity Gauntlet and all that, and the Snap, that is done. And so there is enough finality to this movie that I feel a genuine sense of relief because now I can do what you have been doing, um, which is Pick and choose. I'm going to see the ones I want to see. Okay. I'm interested in Spider-Man, not interested in the next Captain Marvel, definitely interested in the next Dr. Strange, not so interested in the next black Panther. Um, see, and that's, yeah. I guess that's maybe the benefit of the one or not the benefit, but the, the result of the ones that I've chosen to skip, I haven't seen any of the three Captain America movies. Yeah. I haven't seen Iron Man two or three. So the two, the two that people think of as I guess the main sure. characters are the ones that I'm least invested in. Whereas I like Hulk and Thor and Ant-Man sure. and, and Dr. Strange and even Spider-Man, even though I've never seen, I didn't see the homecoming but yeah. just from, from infinity war. Um, I like them all more, uh, and they're all still around. I mean, I don't know what Hulk's going to be in future movies. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely more, not more interested, but I'm intrigued by where they're going to take Thor at this point. Um, sounds like they're going to take him to guardians of the galaxy volume, volume three, which I guess uh, so. will be very exciting for me. It will be. Um, but yeah, I do think that it's just, uh, yeah. I mean, I think it was this, it felt like the end of something, even going in and it is, it, it definitely is. I mean, it's called, it's called Endgame. You kind of knew that they were going to bring certain characters to an end, whether it be through death or, or something else. Um, and I definitely think the, and once I saw the film, it does have that sense of finality. I'm perfectly fine with just, you know, being done with it at this point. Um, I feel This is not to say the film is 100% satisfying. It is not. It's deeply flawed. Um, I feel satisfied enough with the stuff that I was invested in as a watcher of the MCU. Hmm. I feel satisfied in that. I think the, I think the last 20 to 25 minutes of the film, uh, are pretty solid. Um, for the most part, it really, and I think the first half hour is pretty good too. My issue. I will go to the second part. I, my, my distaste with the movie grew over time. I like the beginning of the movie a lot. It's, I like that it gives you about up until we meet Hulk. I think I was not interested in what they did with Hulk, even though I know as a comic book reader, they kind of had to get there at some point. I guess so. I don't know. It's tough. It, it, it turned him. I I found him distracting, honestly, what Mm -hmm. they do with him. And I, it's, it's bothered me what they've done with Bruce Banner over the course of the last few years. They've turned him into, sort of a comic relief with nothing else really. Um, even in something like, uh, um, Ragnarok, Thor Ragnarok, like they kind of made him into that. Whereas the idea of him being genuine, feeling genuinely cursed, that was something they did very well in both Avengers movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and with this, like he's just perp- like, they don't give him any big moments of triumph where him being, you know, smart Hulk is, uh, an advantage, you know, uh, as opposed yeah. to, well, I get I me. Mean, he does get to snap. He does get to do that. Yes. Yeah. But, but that's, it's more just like, so I guess there, that's a thing he is able to do. Yes. Um, but that's because it's a triumph for everybody. Mm-hmm. It feels less like him as opposed to think of when think of, I'm always angry yeah. turns into the Hulk punches that thing. That is a triumph for that character by himself. Yeah. And it's a triumph all about him giving himself over to the Hulk persona here that he's in, he's become that 
and himself. And the film is mostly uninteresting and the characters mostly uninteresting. I was more interested in what they did with Thor. Um, be- partially because uh, uh, as he's talking, like the Renee Zellweger scene means that the character isn't, f- isn't entirely a joke. Um, that his giving up on himself to such an extent that he's got this gut and all that kind uh-huh. of thing. Um, that is, they at least play. I wish they hadn't treated it so jokingly. Um, but I guess, you know, what choice yeah. did they have? They, in your review, you say like they, they commit to what they do with Thor. They commit to what they do with Hulk for good or ill. Yeah. And yeah. I'd, that's, yeah. I'd say with Hulk, it's for ill for Thor. It's both. Um, okay. depending on the scene. Um, and it makes his, and it makes his, uh, his triumphant moment, you know, let's ki- kill him properly this time. It makes it a bit more triumphant. It's him like embracing who he is. Um, it, that, that middle hour, the time travel hour, or as I referred to it, the clip show, <laughs> um, was in some ways it's satisfying, but yeah. To me, like when, when, when Tony Stark meets his father and when Renee Zoe and when Thor meets his mother, people that are now dead and they have an opportunity to talk with them in a meaningful way, that was more effective for me because that's new. But so many other people like in my theater, like laughed and applauded at simply seeing stuff they'd seen before. I'm like, I'm not that interested in that. And I, it's almost, it's almost, uh, uh, like a flex on MCU's part to show off. Yeah. To bring Tilda Swinton back for something so uninteresting. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a boring exposition scene. But that she, does, but she that, does something. I like that she still commits to it. And like that moment where he says like, well, you know, strange gave us the time stone and she has this look like, okay. Like there's a turn in her character. There's not much to that whole scene, yeah. but she, she, whatever there is, she finds and she does something with, it's still not that interesting though. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Another, another question. Okay. Going forward. Cause I want to go back to going forward. Cause there's still okay. more movies coming. Yeah. Yeah. And knowing that so much of this is based on the model of the comic books. Right. And I'm sure if you ask Kevin Feige now, he would say, this is the last movie that will be called Avengers. Right. Yeah. Do you think in a few years, maybe things start to flag they do a movie that's called Avengers and it's, yeah, you know, it doesn't have Iron Man or Captain America in it, right. but the Avengers are an amorphous thing in the comic books. Yeah. Uh, you know, do they do uh, a Captain Marvel, Black Panther led Avengers yeah. movie? I think they could. I think it's entirely possible. They might call it the new Avengers or something right, like sure. that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I absolutely think they can and will. Okay. Um, because I, I'm curious even if I'm not seeing the movies in the future, I'm still curious to know what they're going to do. Are they going to, are they just going to treat it like a reset? Like, all right, Thanos is taken care of. And now let's start building towards something else. It's going to be Kang the conqueror or Galactus. Now that they've got Fox, which also means possibly Dr. Doom. But to me, it's like it, it, I feel like anything they do about like having to, you know, heading towards a big heavy, I think is just going to feel like a retread. Um, I feel like if they keep if they I mean, keep that hasn't to, stopped 60 years of comic books. That's true. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it could be something that, you know, I stopped reading comic books after a certain point and I know there've been big events since then. And so I don't, I probably don't, wouldn't feel nearly as invested as some comic book fans would, you know, infinity war was like this huge moment for me as a kid. Um, and the fact that they, hint at that at the end of Avengers that they show Thanos like, oh, I know what they're doing. How exciting, you know? Um, yeah, but yeah. I used to read comics, but I'm always like, I'll like catch up cause I'll like trade weight and I'll catch up on one book and I'll be like current. All right, I'm current on X-Men, but now I haven't read Spider-Man in a year yeah. and a half. And then I got to go. So I'm always like leapfrogging. Yeah. So I am, I, I mentioned X-Men because I am catching up on X-Men right now. Um, Rogan Gambit got married. Oh, good for them. Yeah. Can she still not touch anybody? Uh, she's got gloves or whatever. She's fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's going to require some pretty uh, careful stepping, I got to say. Um, but good for them. Yeah. I'm glad those two Southerners got yeah, together. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so the film, I think, in general, I'll tell you the thing that, that actually does bother me is that 
one of the reasons that Infinity War, I mean, this film is definitely no Infinity War. That's something that everyone I know agrees on. My students said that. Um, and one of the reasons that, it do, that it's not as good as Infinity War is because Infinity War really invests in Thanos as a character. Mm. Here, you know, Josh Brolin still is, is a forceful presence. Like, he really does stuff with that character. But the, the time travel element takes us back to 2014 Thanos, and that's who they're fighting. They're not fighting the Thanos who had to sacrifice his own daughter. They're not fighting the Thanos who, when he sees... Um, that Scarlet Witch had to kill Vision, he says, like, I understand. Like, mm-hmm. that's a sympathetic Thanos. I mean, not that he is sympathetic, but that he feels, feels a yeah. connection to other people. Um, you know, I remember in Infinity War when uh, he shows up on Titan, he sees Doctor Strange, and he says, I take it that means the Maw is dead. And he oh. says, yes, and he says, today it extracts a heavy toll. And in that moment, like, the, Ebony Maw was just like one of his henchmen, but having just lost Gamora, it's almost like... I what relationships do I have anymore? And, and also like he was a loyal henchman. He was very powerful, but like, just speak like this is a, it's a Thanos who is now experiencing loss and is still resolved in what he's doing. 2014 Thanos is just headstrong, hasn't lost shit. And that's who they're fighting against. And I feel like it just gives the character, less to do and it's and now they're just fighting against another fairly generic cosmic villain that's very well put and that is unfortunate um but overall the film was still again satisfying to me uh in the long run but it is yeah it is unfortunately i think a very very flawed film 